my name is Peter Hope, if you don't know me already, and uh, I'm here to, to bring to you God's word that has been laid on my heart. But first of all, I want to talk to you about um, the talk I'm not going to give, if that makes any sense. Um, because every time I, over these last couple of weeks, I've been wanting to recall the scriptures on which I was going to speak, another one came into mind. Almost every time. It did again this morning. Can you believe it? And uh, that verse is going to come up in a moment, and it's this one. And I just wonder, is this the one I should be preaching on? Um, and, and there is something here for someone in this congregation. Is there something you need to know? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Are you a Christian who is on the verge of some momentous decision? Or, all unbeknown to you, something may happen during this week. Whatever happens, conduct yourself as one who trusts in God. That you belong to Christ, therefore live for him. Now that's not altogether unrelated to what I want to say. But um, I, that's a special verse to me. That's why it comes to mind, because it was the last verse I preached on when I was in full-time ministry. And I didn't know it was the last time I would preach in full-time ministry at the time. In the next week, circumstances unfolded. And so... This is something I always hold on to. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So now to what I am going to speak about. And that's partly been um, helped by my reading of this book uh, called Tactics by Gregory Kukul, uh, a Canadian guy, and just um, encouraging Christians to be able to discuss their faith, to reason it in the company of others, and explain why it is they believe and what they believe. So that's been very helpful to me in, as I've, I've come to consider what else the Lord might want me to say to you this morning. And as a Bible reading, I want to take um, some words from the first letter of Peter, and they're in chapter 3, and he writes this, these words, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with 
gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is a general letter of Peter, written to Christians in what is today Western Turkey. And he expected it, therefore, to be copied and circulated that others might know. It was written originally around about the year 63, so about 30 years or so after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in that letter, the context, the background, is that of suffering as a Christian. It's not the only theme, but it's one of those themes that he keeps coming back to time and again. Peter was writing during the reign of Emperor Nero. Some historians have given Nero a bad name, especially when it comes to how he dealt with Christians. But he has, let's say, somewhat of a reputation. And this was the very time that Peter was writing. And in fact, in this very letter, he does remind Christians to respect the authorities because of their position placed there by him. At various times, things happened within the Roman Empire, particularly to the Jews. Uh, the Jews got expelled out of Rome several times under Roman emperors. Uh, but on one particular occasion, some of those Jews were in fact Christians. Uh, you remember, you may have heard, sorry, Priscilla and Aquila recorded in the book of Acts. They'd been in Rome and they were kicked out because they were Jews. And, but in fact, that's when they met Paul and were able to uh, do ministry with him. None of this was really a surprise because Jesus had warned his followers to expect to suffer. These are Jesus' words. Are they familiar to you? If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Peter has some practical advice for believers who might anticipate difficulty and suffering of some kind within uh, the next years. First of all, it's a matter of the heart and then a matter of the mind. For the heart, revere Christ as Lord. As far as the mind is concerned, be ready to give a reason for your hope. Now, Peter's advice springs out of a quote from the Old Testament. About 800 years before Peter wrote this letter, a man called Isaiah, living in Jerusalem, had been called by God to speak for him. The book named after him records that God warned his servant of opposition and encouraged him to be faithful. God told him, 
where to place his confidence and not be afraid. And this is found in Isaiah chapter 8. I just want to read some of these verses to you from, um, I've forgotten what the verses are, Ah, 11 to 14. (laughs) This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, those he was surrounded by in Jerusalem at that time. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Peter quotes from some of the verses in there, do not fear what they fear, comes from those words to Isaiah. And he's told not to be afraid of the circumstances in which he is going to speak for God. He's in fact to make God himself his secure place, his place in which to hide, you might say, certainly to his place of security, is in his God, whatever may happen around him. But instead of paying any attention to God's spokesman, Isaiah, the leaders accused him of conspiracy because he spoke against their policies. They had ideas of political alliances. There was Egypt to the south, there was Syria to the north, Assyria. What should they do? Who should they turn to for protection? Any small nation always looks to others to to keep it protected, form alliances with larger and more powerful nations. And Isaiah spoke against this, said you should be trusting in, in the God who has called you to be his people. But God had to say to Isaiah, well, it's you alone by the looks of it, you and those who accept your message, you must make me your sanctuary, your place where you are safe. So Peter used that message, those ideas that were in that quote, in order to get across this idea of how the heart is to be protected. The believers are to be safe in Christ. We live at a time when conspiracy theories are swirling around. They're not necessarily directed at us, but they're swirling around. And we're not to become fearful. Instead, we're to look for the solid ground of truth. Where are the real concerns? Yes, we can look at climate change, we can look at injustice, conflict, poverty, persecution, and the like. And we're not to despair if we are centered in Christ and work for change. Peter's advice for believers is this. This is the first part of the, uh, like the, the key words that he gives. In your hearts, 
revere Christ as Lord. At the very center of your being, keep a sacred place for Jesus. Believers carry that which is most precious with them wherever they go. They may be put in a position where uh, they can't take any belongings with them. They just have to get up and go. But they take the Lord with them. They take their place of worship with them. They don't have to look for somewhere to go. They take the very shrine where they worship because their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's word is hidden in their hearts, lodged in their memories so that they might not sin against him. We live in a changing world. The old certainties can no longer be relied on. Increasing numbers in the society of which we are a part want to pull up the anchor which has given our national life a measure of stability in order to be free of the constraints of Christian morality. Freedom, that is, to move wherever the current will take you. We do not know how those changes will affect us. What if our society deems Christians dangerous, a threat to some new order? Christian, put Christ on the throne of your own heart. None of us can avoid suffering, the suffering that all mankind experiences, physical suffering, death, sorrow, distress of mind. But those whose treasure is only to be found in earthly possessions and pleasures and comforts, they're the most vulnerable when these things are taken away. But for those whose treasure is found in Christ, any additional suffering associated with what they believe cannot touch that which is most precious to them. You, we, need to take action on this, revering Christ, having him upon the throne of the heart, will not happen simply because you wish it or because you sing about it over and over again. In our English language, revere can be used in a passive sense. It means to admire. Well, I can admire someone from a distance. I can admire someone without leaving my armchair. But revere also has an active sense. It means to honor, to worship, to be devoted to another. It's intensely practical. You must do something to show that devotion. The repeated message of the writers of the Bible is that at the center of the relationship between human beings and their creator is the issue of self-centeredness which shows itself in rebellion against the ways of God. And the spirit of independence within us resists any thought of submission and holds out for as long as possible. Even those who eventually accept what God says about this and come to him through Jesus Christ for forgiveness and a new start, we will struggle with the issue of who is in charge. 
What is to be done? It will be too late to start thinking about it when suffering strikes. Peter writes that if you're hoping to negotiate a path forward when conspiracies abound and fears darken future prospects, have Christ at the control center. Make Christ your holy place. Keep putting him first. What does he require of you? Do it. You're familiar, if you're a Christian, with the scriptures. What are you taught about prayer? Do it. What are you taught about reading scripture, meditating upon it? Do it. What, a, what does scripture say about meeting together as Christian believers? Do it. What does the word say about service to community? Do it. Are you in communication with Christ over these things? Who is in charge? Let's move on to Peter's other advice, where he says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. Always be prepared to defend yourself or defend your Christian faith. Note the words, always. It's a bit much, isn't it? It's like that other verse, it says, pray without ceasing. Right? It's a bit like that, isn't it? Always be prepared. A pregnant woman gets prepared. She packs a bag with everything she needs. And there's an action plan in place if she needs to move in a hurry. And when the critical move moment arrives, she's ready. And off she goes. Peter says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. Don't let's get taken by surprise. Again, this is intensely practical. If in your heart you revere Christ as Lord, that will become evident. And people will want to know why you are different. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Why? What are the most common questions that you are likely to be asked? Well, can you answer them? You've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. There are books on Christian apologetics, giving reasoned arguments. Buy, learn. There are video clips on the internet, again by Christian apologetics. Watch, learn. Students have a great opportunity here. If, if you are an A-level student, you're at City College, you're at the NUA or UEA, you, you're also at that stage where people are asking questions and want to know this, that, and the other. What a wonderful opportunity you have. But all of us do. Because the first thing we can prepare is our own story. Everyone has a story who is a Christian, I would say your story should be in three parts. You don't 
necessarily give them all at the same time, but you have a story about the start of it all, how you first came to Christ and why. Who influenced you? What did you read? But there's also another thing to say about the continuation, how things have gone on from that time. We shouldn't always be living in the past. It's what God is doing now and how, how things have progressed in us as Christian believers since the time we first came to Christ. And the third part is, what's the latest thing that you've learned? What's the latest challenge you've faced and overcome? What's the very latest chapter in your, your um, book of your life with Christ? So that whenever you might be asked about the beginning or how things have developed since or whether you're asked about what kind of day are you having, you know, you have got something to say. It's your story. L linked up with his story. You may be asked about the existence of God. Will you be pleased to know that no atheist will ever want to argue with you about the existence of God? Because to even argue about the existence of God is to preach presuppose that there is a God to argue about. So uh, if you remember um, Stephen Fry a few years back now, uh, out came a tirade against what he was going to say to God when he confronted him. And he was going to talk about all the suffering in the world and how did you allow this and how did you allow that. And of course afterwards he had to say, well, you know, I was a bit taken up by it in the moment because I don't believe in God. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not going to appear before him. Therefore, I've got nothing to complain about. I must find an answer elsewhere. The atheist must look elsewhere for his answers to uh, why the world is the way it is. There'll be those who say science has disproved God, which, of course, is impossible. Science deals with the material world, the physical world, and God, by nature, is beyond, in the immaterial world. We always have to ask definitions about people. When they talk about God, what do they mean by God, rather than just assume that you're all on the same page? Ask them to explain. There are uh, examples of how to argue from the beginning of all things, or the design of everything, how wonderfully it all fits together, or there are moral arguments. There are all kinds of arguments for the existence of God. We should know some of these in order to be used them, to use them. There are some people who, who will attack the Bible. They will say it's full of contradictions. Fine. Say to them, well, show me one. Show me where you've been reading the Bible and where it contradicts, and we'll talk about it. But usually, of course, it's said by those who aren't reading the Bible anyway. They're just using someone else's arguments. Or they'll say, oh, you know, the Bible was written down, it was copied, then it was copied again, it was copied again, and we don't know what we've got now, 
because we're so far away from the original. The truth is, there are so many documents for the New Testament, more than any other historical document. And yes, there are lots of differences between them, but that's a great advantage. The more differences there are, the more accurately you can, you can just determine what the original said. Now, you'll need to look at the arguments over that. This is just me uh, talking off the top of my head. But there is no theological point, no important doctrine for Christians that is in any doubt. The issues are over someone's name. Is it really spelt like that or spelt like that? Trivial. That geographical place, the name of that desert, that animal, you know, trivial stuff. Nothing important is in doubt. Well, there are those who will attack even Jesus. They'll say, well, Jesus never even existed. It's only in the New Testament that you read about him. That's your, your book. It's biased because it was written by religious people. Well, not so, because there are historians, Jewish and Roman of the time, Josephus, Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, Lucian. They all mention Jesus, and they mention the followers of Jesus. There are questions which are difficult. But there are, if I can say reverently, I'll use the example in the book, blame Jesus. There are times when you have to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus said this. It's not I'm saying it. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The exclusiveness of faith in him. He said it. Oh, the complication of what God is like. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Wow, well, you know, that's Jesus, isn't it? Why did he have to make it so complicated? He didn't seem to hang around too long after he had introduced the Holy Spirit to explain very much more. Heaven and hell. Jesus was quite certain about the reality of hell. Want to know about marriage and divorce? Not much said, but some key principles are there. Blame it on Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, follow what he said. There's, of course, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Well, hopefully you're familiar with some of these arguments. Nobody could be produced. Look at the change in the disciples that occurred. There were the same number of Christian believers gathered together on the first occasion as we've got here. And look where they are now. They're everywhere in every corner of the earth, throughout time ever since. Christians. That's amazing. Think of Saul of Tarsus out to get rid of Christians. What a, such a remarkable change that he ends up writing so much that is in the New Testament and is such an amazing uh, figure, a Christian leader. 
Or think of James, who wrote a book in the, that's in the New Testament, the half-brother of Jesus, who thought Jesus was mad, as did the rest of the family. They thought he was deranged. They distanced themselves from him. They wanted at one time like to take him away. You know, come on, Jesus, we will look after you. James ends up not only believing, but becoming a leader of the church in Jerusalem. In all this, you know, should these things come to mind on any of these or other, other issues that might, might come up, can you give a reasoned argument for your faith? By argument, I don't mean a heated argument. No, that's not allowed. We're told that all discussions are to be respectful and thoughtful. Let me draw what I say to a conclusion. Soon after Peter wrote this letter, Rome, a, a sizable portion of Rome, was burnt to the ground. There were fingers pointed at Nero himself. Nero pointed the finger at Christians. And many were accused. During this time, Peter died. He, it was chosen for him to be crucified. He opted to be crucified upside down, according to the tradition. I can't say that that is fact. Paul also died at that, at that time. Paul, being a Roman citizen, got a more beneficial dispatch. He was beheaded. Nero preferred, as other later Roman emperors did, to have something more lasting as a death, being a human torch or crucifixion or being torn apart by wild beasts. So who would choose to be a Christian if suffering is on the doorstep? I know Christians are not the only minority to suffer throughout human history. I want to be clear about that. But today, if what Open Doors says is true, about 11 Christians will pay the ultimate price for their faith in Christ. May, may they remain faithful to the end. As I close, I want to pray for them. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we have such an easy time. Such an easy time. But there are our brothers and sisters for whom being a Christian is a struggle. Their rejection from the community and everything that goes with it being the butt first of jokes and then of attacks, all kinds of violence, homes destroyed, lands trampled over. And for some, Lord, will even lay down their lives. Will you, Lord, be ready to welcome them into your kingdom? 
and give them all they need of grace and courage this day as they pass into your presence. Keep them faithful to the end. And if, Lord, we ever have to go this way in any, to any degree, we pray that we may have Christ enthroned in our hearts and we may have a reason for the faith that we hold dear. Amen.